Hello and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews that we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Daniel Estrin. We're at Criston Vineyards. It's November 5th, 2020. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Uh, first question for you. Why wine? Ah, the question everybody wants to know. You know why would you want to get tied up in this business where you make uh, uh, fancy booze for people? Um, it's, uh, uh, it was kind of a, um, an accidental path for me. Um, accidental for myself, but uh, I feel it was purposeful by other people uh, in my life. Um, uh, I come from a family who doesn't drink, and uh, it's not really uh, part of my culture at all, but um, I had one uncle that uh, was very much into um, wine and uh, just fine things in general. Uh, his name was Mark Estrin, and uh, while a child, he was more or less peripheral in my life, uh, living far away. But uh, as I grew older and uh, um, really explored my troubled youth uh, stage of life, um, he, he took note of me. And uh, I think uh, there was a recognition of some similarities between he and I. And uh, I had graduated high school and uh, I was at the ripe age of 19. And after floundering around for a bit, I uh, took off on a uh, road trip down uh, to Mexico is what I was aiming for. Um, loaded up my 90 VW Fox and headed south uh, with a surfboard, a bunch of bike stuff, skateboard, that sort of thing. Uh, all those things that interested me as school didn't at that time. So at uh, 19, no school, I just wanted to explore life. And so headed towards Mexico and uh, had some good times along the way and got down to LA and lo and behold, my 90 VW Fox uh, uh, decided not to go any further. <laughs> uh, fortunately, uh, uh, my sister Molly was living in the area at the time and uh, had some other family, uh, Mark included, and um, I ended up sleeping on my sister's couch uh, um, uh, to the, much to the chagrin of uh, uh, her roommates for about a month or so. And uh, uh, my uncle Mark um, took note of me and uh, we started hanging out and he uh, got me a job at a uh, wine store called The Wine House. Um, uh, and that's in West LA and at 19, I certainly couldn't be selling wine or tasting wine, but I was stocking shelves. And uh, uh, on the sly, my uncle was, uh, um, you know, pouring me a little wine, a little uh, scotch and teaching me uh, and exposing me, I guess, more than anything else to the nuances of uh, those sort of things. And um, I didn't really realize it at the time, but he was, um, he was taking an interest in me. and. Uh, um, after a few years of, uh, after about uh, eight months living in LA, working at that wine shop, I um, wanted to go back to having fun. <laughs> so uh, I packed things up and I, I took off on a climbing trip uh, down through Southern California and uh, uh, Mexico. And 
uh, he asked me um, in the fall of the next year to come back and uh, do harvest for him. So he and a friend of his had started a small wine label um, called Red Car, and uh, they were making their wine in a uh, um, place called um, CCWS, Central Coast Wine Services, and uh, it's a place where there was uh, the, the Miller family owns um, the production facility and they allow some alternate proprietors to make wine there as well. And um, uh, I, I was like, well, making wine, that seems like fun. I, I just wanna have fun. So uh, 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 that's the, where I went. And so uh, I went uh, into this uh, um, world of a bunch of small different winemakers making wine together. And uh, I was just the whipping boy, right? Um, I, uh, uh, Mark and his partner Carol uh, Kemp uh, had a winemaker, um, uh, Tim Spear, and uh, I just pretty much stomped grapes for eight hours a day. That was his MO. He was very much hands-off, very non-interventionalist, uh, as every winemaker says they are, but <laughs> he was uh, very true to that. And um, yeah, I, I more or less stomped grapes for eight hours a day, eight hours a day, moved things around with a forklift, and uh, that was my exposure, first exposure to wine. But uh, peripheral to um, what Redcar was doing, I, I, I met a lot of other people uh, doing really cool stuff. And um, uh, there were some young people there who liked to party and have a good time, and uh, that I was, I was totally into that. <laughs> and uh, uh, it really captured my, uh, my attention, you know, I was like, this is something that could be fun, and uh, took off for uh, um, the off season, and got the call to come back, and came back the next year, and uh, this time, new winemaker, uh, Chris King uh, was there, I think he was titled assistant winemaker at the time, but, or production winemaker, but uh, Chris was the one who really uh, opened up my eyes to what the wine industry could be. Uh, Chris is uh, salty the earth, uh, farmer uh, kind of guy and um, he and his wife Deanna um, really helped cultivate um, um, my interest in wine and uh, taught me a lot about production and uh, exposed me to different people and different wines and uh, I was really fortunate to meet some uh, really nice people um, and that catapulted me into uh, my next chapter. So uh, at the end of that harvest, uh, with my second harvest with Redcar, uh, my uncle noticed that I didn't, wasn't really uh, focusing and uh, buckling down and committing to things. And he, he told me that, uh, you know, I, if I didn't change things up, I wouldn't be welcome back. Or and he, he wanted to push me out of the nest is what I really felt. And, uh, uh, and that's what he did. So, uh, uh, Matt Dees, um, the winemaker uh, for Honada, they had not yet had gotten their own winemaking space. They were making wine there. Um, uh, asked me if I wanted to go to New Zealand. And I said, heck yeah, uh, this, this is what I wanna do. Uh, this, this, the travel, make wine and uh, party, have fun. That sounds great. Um, and um, I got a job with Craggy Ranch and uh, took off to Craggy Ranch and um, um, sitting on the plane to go to New Zealand to make wine on the other side of the world uh, for a kid that barely graduated high school um, uh, who didn't have any direction. This, this was really special to me. 
and it gave me a sense of self-worth and value and purpose that I'd never had in my life before. Um, it's, uh, it was great. Uh, went to New Zealand, made wine, met a bunch of new people, um, uh, met a winemaker named Larry, Larry Cherubino. He uh, was the one who got me my next job uh, in the next year. Uh, but uh, towards the end of that harvest at Craggy Range, um, I got the call that my Uncle Mark uh, was succumbing to his battle with cancer. So uh, I came back a little early. I was fortunate to be able to spend some more time with him, uh, help uh, take care of him in his last days, and um, thank him for exposing me to this wine world. Um, so um, took off to the mountains, had some time to recoup, spent some time with them, very good friends of mine in Bend, Oregon, snowboard bum, climbing, just having a good time again. And uh, that next year, I um, got a job through Larry to go work for um, Mount Lingi Giron in Northeast Victoria. So we're talking circa 2006 at this point. Um, I'm just now getting old enough to, to drink alcohol and uh, <laughs> um, get into uh, really appreciating it um, and go to New, uh, Australia and um, get to make some really cool, cool climate um, Syrah. Um, once again, flooded with uh, new people who expose me to different aspects of wine. Um, could you once again get that feeling of uh, purpose going somewhere on the other side of the world and uh, being put to work um, and had a wonderful time there. Um, going to um, New Zealand and then Australia and understanding how um, the uh, industries down there really value um, the education side of it um, opened up my, the possibility for me to go back to school. And that, that part of my mind had never really uh, been interested in going to, to school before. So um, 22, 23-ish, right around in there, um, I made the decision to come back to the Central Coast where Central Coast Wine Services was, moved to San Luis Obispo, and um, started going to community college because, as I mentioned, I barely graduated high school. Uh, I think it was like 2.0 GPA, maybe. Uh, and um, I, I started going to school. I started knocking out those prereqs. Um, uh, and now, at this point, I had worked a few harvests. Um, I, I had a direction. I knew what I wanted to do. And um, at this point, I, I felt that I wanted to check the box of going to college in my life. Mm -hmm. And so it uh, took a long time to um, um, put the pieces in place in order to get into university. But uh, eventually, I was able to uh, transfer to uh, Cal Poly. So it was three years at uh, Cuesta Community College, and then got into Cal Poly and got to uh, study there. Um, it was uh, this, this period of time going to school. It wasn't just, I mean, there was a lot of having fun. I'm not going to lie. but. Um, um, I got to use my production experience and exposure to wine to help uh, pay for going to school. So um, I was fortunate that I got jobs in restaurants, got to manage wine lists, got to uh, um, 
uh, taste with distributors, expose my palate to um, uh, wines of the world that I've never known before, and um, got to understand another side of the business that I wasn't familiar with. So, um, yeah. Um, uh, uh, I, I'm sorry I digress. <laughs> the question was initially like, uh, on why did I get into wine? But uh, uh, it, it, it all funnels down as to, um, uh, it, it was my uncle that first exposed me to it. Wonderful people that helped me along the way. And then um, uh, a sense of uh, purpose and um, uh, a sense of uh, self-esteem, which I'd never had before. So. Uh, I, I guess I could continue along that story if you want. Uh, continue along. I'll, I'll come back and ask questions later. Uh, continue, continue on. I apologize. As, as I said before we started talking, you know, winemakers, they love to talk about themselves. And uh, uh, as much as I try to deny it, <laughs> uh, I guess I am a winemaker. Um, so, yeah, school, um, uh, working in restaurants, uh, learning about wine, uh, that, that, um, exploration into the wine world um, uh, got me interested in um, um, farming um, and uh, my experience with winemakers previously also got me interested in farming. Um, I, I had worked for um, now you know a number of different winemakers and um, I was a little turned off by the whole production side of things. Uh, or at least the winemaking side of things, and uh, I decided that I wanted to go the route of uh, farming. So um, when I got into Cal Poly, um, you either have to do um, the enology side or the viticulture side, uh, unlike uh, Davis. So uh, I chose viticulture. Uh, I was like, this winemaking side, I've got a feel for it, but uh, I want to go down a path and really explore uh, new things for myself. So. Um, Studied viticulture, great professors. Uh, um, I was fortunate to have um, uh, the school being in a wine region as well. So I got to continue uh, visiting with winemakers and um, uh, got to scratch the itch of curiosity. So I'd go to work and be in the restaurant. I'd um, hear about different uh, winemaking practices or farming practices, and then I'd be able to take those questions to uh, I could seek out people in the region that I could ask questions about. So um, got my interest tipped into um, uh, soils and uh, biodynamics. So um, going um, from uh, classes to asking winemakers to uh, going to do uh, work and tasting these wines, it, it all really cycled in and uh, upon itself. Uh, really fed my curiosity. So uh, it was during that time I actually met Andrew Rikers, uh, uh, another good friend, and uh, he and another friend, Jared McClintock, moved in across the street from me, and we'd start tasting wines and uh, drink wines all the time. And uh, it was it was a it was a great time for me to expand my wine world. So um, uh, going back to school, I. Uh, really gravitated to soils and I ended up minoring in soils and um, I took the the soil side of it and um, uh, bonded that to the curiosity and biodynamics and ended up doing my my senior project on uh, um, a quantitative analysis of um, 
um, nutrients and elements in uh, soils uh, from the uh, Laventure vineyard in Paso Robles. Uh, they were doing a conversion from biodynamic to organic and um, that was um, my first indoctrination to the biodynamic uh, uh, ideas. Um, and uh, that, that seed was planted, but uh, it had yet to be watered and fertilized and cultivated. <laughs> so uh, uh, it was something that was gonna lie dormant for a little while, but would certainly come back. Mm -hmm. um, my, my senior year at um, uh, Cal Poly, I um, uh, did vintage while going to school. Um, was able to swing that somehow. Uh, so I was living in San Luis Obispo, but uh, working in the Santa Rita Hills uh, for uh, Sashi Mormon and uh, his um, conglomerate of projects down there. So, um, you know, it, it, repeatedly I, I've just been very fortunate to come in contact with uh, connected individuals and people who have taken a interest in, in me for what reason I don't know uh, but I don't really care I feel really fortunate that I have so uh, I got to meet Sashi and uh, work with him uh, Sa uh, Rashi <laughs> excuse me Sashi uh, tied into uh, Rajpar uh, working uh, alongside him on his project uh, of Sandy and uh, the Domaine de la Cote vineyard. Uh, I worked with Chris King once again. So I worked with Matt Redcar and he had uh, planted the Domaine de la Cote vineyard down in the Santa Rita Hills. And so I worked the growing season with uh, Chris. And then from the growing season, I went into the winery and started working with uh, Sashi and Raj in uh, the winery. So um, it was great. It was a perfect transition. Uh, I wasn't, uh, exactly looking to do the winery work, but they knew that uh, oh, Chris was able to vouch for my uh, uh, my skills on a forklift and you know as competent and uh, apparently not lazy. Uh, so I uh, came into the winery and worked there too. So I uh, got to see the fruit that I worked with in the vineyard go into the winery and uh, it was a great, um, great way to um, spend my my senior year doing that and then finishing it up at school and um, yeah really tying a bunch of things together mm -hmm. and um, um, talking with uh, uh, Raj at lunches and uh, asking him you know uh, where do I go next what do I do next uh, obviously he's a very well connected individual um, he um, he was able to put me in touch with some people in the southern hemisphere um, uh, and so Excuse me, um, I went to work for uh, Piero Enchisa de la Roqueta at uh, uh, Bodega Chakra uh, down in Argentina. So, um, you know, just windfall to windfall <laughs> is pretty much my, my, has been my wine career. And uh, so I go down to uh, uh, Bodega Chakra. My friend and I, uh, Anthony Avila, we go down there together. He works for uh, Bodega Noemia. I work for Bodega Chakra, but we're in the middle of nowhere. Um, we, we're not living together. I'm living with uh, an Italian uh, that uh, speaks English, and I was working for um, 
a bunch of Argentinians. My Spanish was kind of crap. <laughs> uh, I had spent a month in uh, Ecuador uh, prior uh, to going to Bodega Chakra um, to work on my Spanish, but uh, it, it really didn't uh, uh, solidify things until I got down to Argentina. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was quite the experience. Uh, my toughest harvest to date, for sure. But um, I was able to be exposed to more biodynamics, um, working with their um, uh, farmer there, their vineyard manager there, um, work with some very old Pinot vines and uh, make some really cool wines down there. Um, it was it was quite exciting. Um, and uh, I, I apologize, I've got chronologically got, I missed a vintage there. <laughs> uh, so um, let's back up a step. So 2011 was working with Sashi. Uh, after that, I was um, uh, talking to Raj. He had actually put me in touch with um, uh, Jean-Louis Chauve, and I was supposed to go down to, uh, or go over to Hermitage and work over there. But uh, lo and behold, things didn't pan out. And uh, uh, come the spring of uh, 2012, um, uh, was probably the, the biggest break I've ever gotten in my, uh, uh, in my life. Uh, I was talking to um, a friend, Trey Fletcher, who is at that time the winemaker for uh, Bien Nacido. And uh, he and I had become acquainted by uh, a restaurant that I worked in. Uh, we both worked in um, uh, wineries and uh, I could talk production with him and I'd pour him wines and we just became fast friends. And he put me in touch with uh, the assistant winemaker at uh, Literai Wines in um, uh, Sonoma. So um, rather than going to Hermitage, which would have been a great experience in and of itself, I ended up going to uh, uh, Literai in the fall of uh, 2012. And at that point, I, uh, I knew of Literai, uh, but uh, I wasn't um, yet really I didn't really understand what I was getting into, but uh, uh, going from uh, the Sonoma coast and then going up to Sonoma was, uh, um, it felt really cool. I remember very distinctly uh, driving over uh, the Golden Gate Bridge and I was like, man, this is great. I, I feel like I'm really getting somewhere in my career. I'm going from, you know, the central coast, which is, which is great and all, but I'm going to Sonoma, like the epicenter of, uh, a great Pinot Noir in the United States. Um, and uh, I was really excited for that opportunity. And I got there and I was just blown away. I had never worked at anywhere, I had never worked anywhere that paid so much attention to all the details. Uh, I'd never worked um, somewhere that uh, was so focused on the farming and the, what was going on in the vines. And I was completely taken with it. Um, I worked my ass off and uh, uh, had a great vintage, uh, got the full exposure uh, of the literary program, being able to um, sample vineyards, drive fruit, work in the, the winery, make compost. Uh, it was uh, a really wonderful experience. Uh, and, and now we're caught up, I apologize. We, now, we're, now we're to Bodega Chakra. <laughs> and Bodega Chakra, uh, myself and Anthony Avila go down there, have really hard harvests because of the uh, isolation. Um, um, the vines down there are irrigated via flood irrigation. So uh, they have a bunch of canals. And uh, so you have a lot of stagnant water in canals much of the year. And 
Um, a lot of mosquitoes. Uh, I remember going in to do the night shift at uh, uh, at the uh, bodega, and just the walls looked like they were moving because there were so many mosquitoes on the wall. Like having to put DEET on in order to go to work, it was it was wild. But there is also some uh, uh, silver lining to that as well. Um, sitting down with Piero and uh, uh, having some wonderful dinners, tasting some great wines. Um, Piero is the grandson of the founder of Sasakaya, and uh, uh, being able to taste some of those wines was, from his library is incredible. It's uh, um, some really powerful experiences happened there for sure. Um, and then, of course, Argentina is a beautiful place, and uh, um, gotta enjoy the outdoors. Did some fly fishing, went to Chile, bunch of surfing. Best ways of my life, but uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure you get this a lot, but you know, us winemaker type are very much hedonists. So uh, uh, for me, I, I get a great pleasure of being outside. So um, really, um, Anthony and I had a great trip down down south. So uh, towards the end of the the trip in uh, Argentina and Chile, uh, I got the call from uh, the assistant winemaker at Literai once again, saying, "Hey, you did a great job last year." We'd love for you to come back. And um, uh, I was like, sounds good. Sounds great. I really loved it. I think there's a lot more for me to learn there. Um, I'd love to come back. So I came back. And um, when I got there, I took note that uh, uh, one of their vineyard crew members, which was kind of a swing between the vineyard and cellar, had, uh, had left. And um, uh, I, I told Ted in a in a sampling trip that he and I were on that I wanted a full-time job there. Um, I, I saw the potential for me to really uh, uh, learn a lot and um, to hitch my cart to uh, uh, this thing that he had going on. And he said, all right, well, let's talk at the end of harvest. Uh, needless to say, I busted my ass and worked really hard and um, that's that, that one conversation from with Trey the previous year that got me the first internship there had uh, snowballed into um, the greatest job opportunity in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should take a breath. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'm no, sorry. no, no, this is perfect. This is great. Yeah. Not for, not for me to talk. I'm curious about, we'll, back, we'll come back to Literai in a second, we'll mm -hmm. kind of take, take it from there, but I'm curious about as, you, as you're being introduced to all the different parts of wine, so you have your, you have your uncle kind of introducing you to and, and the wine shop side of things, then you're introduced to the production side, then you get the vineyard side. What was the appeal to you? What, what, what drew you in and wanted, wanted you, made you want to learn more, made you want to go back to school? What, what, what was the initial appeal of the, of the whole industry? Um, so uh, I have... Like earlier in life, well, I feel like I've grown to cultivate some patience in my life, <laughs> uh, thankfully. Uh, but um, uh, I, I've never had a great attention span, um, as many of us don't. I'm not unique in that. And uh, I've, uh, I, I was really drawn to the idea that there was so many different facets of what was going on in wine. Uh, I could sit down with a book and read and read and read and read on one particular region. And I'd get to a point where I'm like, oh, this is kind of boring. Let's open up a bottle of something from somewhere else. And then um, now it's sensory rather than, you know, um, uh, a study sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
going from that and then being like, well, I want to know more about how they do this. So then going and be able to talk to people and uh, all right, people are getting boring. Let's let's go look at the plants. Like there's so many different facets. Um, there's you know the production, the 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 growing, the soils, the uh, the people involved there, and it's it's all tied together to to food as well, right? And uh, while um, that while wine was never a part of my upbringing, um, um, I had a. Uh, a grandmother, which was an organic gardener and um, a great cook. Um, uh, my grandmother, Millie, um, uh, had a huge hand in raising me and uh, she exposed me to, uh, she was into organics before organics was hip. <laughs> and um, I remember turning her compost as a, a small child and uh, I remember eating at her table and um, eating her brisket and uh, the food side of it was certainly there for me. Uh, the the dopamine rush that <laughs> I got from eating good meals with her uh, is still with me today. And um, so being able to tie that all together, there's just so much that wine could offer me. Mm -hmm. And to this day, any time that I'm starting to, you know, feel like I'm stagnating, I'm, there's turn my head in another direction. There's something else to do. Mm -hmm. So I would say the. the the many facets that there is in the wine world, the, the people, the, the plants, everything. Mm -hmm. It's all part of it that draws me in. Speaking of the plants, I'm curious about that too, that kind of the fork in the road when you get to, when you get to Cal Poly and you mm -hmm. have to choose kind of between your knowledge and viticulture and mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of turned off by production. So I'm curious, A, about what, what about production at that point had, had left you a little bit wanting and, and, and B, what about viticulture made you excited to, to go down that path? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I, I'm guilty of this as well, but um, uh, in some of the winemakers that I work under, worked underneath, there wasn't a lot of humility to them, and I saw that they were, you know, uh, winemakers often get the credit for making the wine, right? And they get pushed out front and are uh, exalted for these things that they do, right? And um, um, being that I had worked internships and um, worked with uh, uh, all the other uh, soldiers in the trenches. I was like, that's not how it works. Like, I, I see interviews and I'm saying this, but actually they're not getting dirty and they're not sweating. They're not, they're not doing all the hard work. And um, uh, I, I saw a lot more humility in, in, in the growing of the grapes. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, Chris King was a big um, um, influence on me on that. He, um, I mean, most humble guy you'll ever meet in your life, but he is capable of and, and has proven that he can plant world-class vineyards and farm them really well organically. And, um, and you know, he's, he's not on the label. He's not... You know he's he's not the exalted one, and and that really struck a chord with me. Um, uh, I I have so much gratitude for everybody involved in the winemaking process. Uh, I'm not just talking like once the vines grapes have been picked, but um, you know the the people working in the nurseries, um, uh, the the our, our vineyard crew that does the hard work when it's pissing rain outside or whether it's super hot outside. Mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, all these people come together to make the wine. So uh, that's what drew me towards the viticulture side of the things and, and um, the humility involved with it. Um, I came to realize that this, um, this glamorized um, wine world is a relatively new thing, right? Like the winemaking was thought of as a peasant job. <laughs> you know, you go back a hundred years, um, nobody wanted to take over their parents' vineyard <laughs> and winery. Nobody wanted to. It's like everybody was running from it because it's just a slog. And um, uh, I, I don't want to, I don't ever want to lose touch uh, uh, of, of every step in the process. And um, I, I love getting dirty. I love getting out there and sweating. And I also love the intellectual side of the, the blending as well. But um, the, the growing of the grapes is, is truly the heart of it and the most enjoyable part of it for me. Um, and yeah, uh, I'm sure we'll get onto this more, but it's, it's not only about the grapes. It's about the, the farm and the, the organism that is the farm. Uh, you, you mentioned that you were not, not much of a high school student, not too interested there. I'm curious, as it came to going back to school, did you find, once you found something you were passionate about, did that, did you become a better student? Did you enjoy school more at that point? A hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, <laughs> when you care about something, obviously you're going to put in more into it, right? And so, um, working in those southern hemisphere harvests and um, uh, working with uh, people who were doing, who had positions that I wanted to have, I, I was motivated. And so I knew there was no way I was getting into a university if I had shit grades. So um, I, I, I busted my hump and uh, I uh, did my very best to get the best grades that I could, so, um, with the exception of uh, a few uh, or like organic chemistry and stuff. <laughs> I, I did pretty well and uh, was able to transfer. So um, um, I, at that point, by the time that I transferred into Cal Poly, I was you know, 25, so I was older than all my, um, uh, all my other classmates. Um, it, and I was paying for it by myself. I was taking out loans and uh, I, I was fortunate to have um, like my sister be able to kick me in a, a thousand bucks here and there when I was, couldn't make rent or whatever. But um, uh, largely I was on my own. So if I wasn't uh, committed to classes, if I wasn't, I was wasting my time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it absolutely made um, the hugest difference for me. All right, let's, let's take you back to, to Literai now. You, you, you've gone from one year of, as an intern and, mm -hmm. and now you, you're, you're getting your job offer at the end of the second year. So tell us about that job, the initial job, and, and kind of your experiences there once you became full-time. Yeah. So 2013 Vintage, um, bust my hump, work really hard. Ted tells me, all right, dude, you got yourself a full-time job. You're going to work between the vineyard and winery. Um, and uh, we'll give you uh, a title. We'll give you the self-master title. And I'm like, sweet, awesome. <laughs> and uh, I was over the moon. It was uh, a, a great opportunity. So um, we're coming to the end of harvest, getting ready for bottling, uh, doing rackings, cleaning barrels, doing all the, the trench work uh, uh, in, in the cellar. Uh, we get into the new year. 
time to start pruning. I'm out there with the vineyard crew uh, uh, pruning the vines. Um, the vineyard crew at Literai um, had mu as much influence on me as Ted did. Um, um, taught me uh, 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 an even better work ethic. Um, uh, really helped me with my Spanish. <laughs> and um, uh, taught me a lot of the small nuances that make, make make the difference in the, in the vineyard. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> um, so every year at Literai, they make the compost pile right after harvest. So um, uh, I made the compost, we made the compost pile and then uh, I got to add the compost preps that we made, made as well after harvest. And so that would be in, in the winter there. And starting to um, you know, read more about biodynamics and getting a feel as to what it means and uh, uh, where it all comes from. Uh, a growing appreciation of uh, ethereal forces, um, things that we can't necessarily put our hands on or uh, can't quantify, but um, uh, coming to appreciate the, the things that we can't and uh, acknowledging that there are forces at play, uh, all of that is birthed in the, that, those, that first year at Literai. Um, as we're uh, pruning, um, um, Ted tells me that uh, um, the assistant winemaker, uh, John, um, his, his wife is pregnant and due in sometime in March. And so Ted tells me that uh, I have to go, I have to fly down to New Zealand and uh, act as assistant winemaker at um, Burn Cottage because uh, their assistant winemaker and their vineyard manager quit like two months before harvest. And so Ted was consulting at uh, in Burn Cottage. And so I was like, okay, well, uh, I guess, guess I'll do this. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> um, I got to thank John and his wife for having a child when they did, because that was a huge, <laughs> huge opportunity for me. So um, uh, I, I I hop on a plane uh, and fly down to Centro Otago and um, I, I land and meet with Claire, the general manager uh, winemaker down there. And she's like, yeah, well, the interns have been in the, the vineyard. The winery hasn't really been, you know, spiffed up and cleaned up yet. Um, uh, she's playing triage, trying to, you know, play, uh, wear all the hats. Uh, and I jump into the fray. And so um, uh, I train the interns, tell them uh, how we want to do things. And um, uh, I, basically I'm taking the blueprint, which I've learned the last two years at Literai, transposing it to what was happening down at Burn Cottage in a whole new world uh, in, within the first year of my first full-time job <laughs> in the wine industry. So it was great. It was awesome. I. Um, I had an awesome crew. Um, we had a good harvest. Uh, not too many, um, um, not too many hurdles were thrown at us. Um, we got a couple picks in, and then Ted comes down and starts uh, uh, putting his uh, uh, Midas touch on on the picking calls and such. And uh, 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 somehow I was able to. Um, manifest the managerial skills I didn't know I had to help um, this this crew put things together, right? And uh, all the while, uh, I, I didn't realize that this was a an audition all the while uh, uh, for Ted, because he was, um, whether he knew it or not, he was testing me 
um, to see you know what I was capable of. And so um, I'm there overlapping with Ted for a little while and then I fly back and I just get right back into the trenches at Lidrai, back into spreading compost and uh, what have you, working in the cellar and just doing the cellar master thing. And I was thrilled. It was great. It was so much fun to uh, uh, go to a central and, and do that thing. But I was also happy to come back and continue learning from the vineyard crew and from John, the cellar. Um, it, was, it, was, it was really cool. Um, uh, Ted comes back by May of 2014. Um, uh, I'm, I'm finishing up work and Ted pulls me aside. He's like, hey, Dan, I'd like to meet with you at the end of the day. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. And uh, um, so, um, end of the day, Ted and I step into the lab. It's just he and I. He's like, well, um, John just gave me his notice and he's gonna be leaving within a month. Um, I'm gonna put a, uh, a posting up on wine jobs uh, right now, unless you want the job. And uh, <laughs> it was, uh, one of the happiest moments in my life. <laughs> it, it was it was awesome. It was so powerful. I I yeah I was through the roof and uh, uh, um, I remember driving home that that night just blasting music. Just could hardly contain myself, like bl busting out of my skin um, because I knew what it meant. Um, it it was it was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that then. Uh, tell me about the, the next step for you. Uh, you, you have, does, is there added pressure on you now? Do you feel like you have to live up to something? What, what's the next step after, after you, after you kind of realize what you're, what you're doing now? Oh, like, <laughs> I, I felt completely over my head, <laughs> completely over my head. Uh, uh, I mean, literally makes, um, in, to, in, under my, my opinion, some of the best wines, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, some of the best wines uh, in, in uh, North America. And uh, now I felt responsible for him. You know, Ted's there all through harvest. He's the guiding light, making decisions, but uh, I felt wholly over my head. But I was going to do whatever it took in order to rise to the occasion. Um, so I. Uh, if I thought I worked hard before, I, I had no idea what was to come. I mean, um, it, it, was, it was just a lot of work and dedication, long days, um, and a lot of just teaching myself, um, figuring things out, um, and um, uh, really exploring the, the capacity of my problem-solving skills. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was awesome. Um, you know, it took me a minute to figure out the winemaking side of stuff, but to be honest, that was the easier side of things. You know, all right, I gotta keep sulfurs here, I gotta, you know, be sampling it. But these times I got to do, um, you know, make sure uh, supplies are ordered. By this time, like, once, once you figure out the calendar of events, a lot of that uh, falls into place. But um, uh, what I wasn't prepared for is the, a lot of the managerial side of it. Um, um, and also, um, the the new challenges that uh, Ted wanted to give me. Um, so up until that point, uh, Litteri had chickens, ducks, 
and uh, the biodynamic farm was still growing. So that, that's one thing that um, Ted always did is he grew things very slowly because he wanted to do it all right. And now he wanted to take the farm to the next step. So it's about sheep. Time to get sheep. I mean, I grew up in South Salem <laughs> in the suburbs and I knew nothing about this stuff. So I'm like, all right, you wanna get some sheep? Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Let's do it. So uh, it started out by working with a woman who had a small flock and we'd run her, uh, run her sheep on the property and I'd help her move them and stuff. And I'm like, all right, cool. I, 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 I think I can do this. this. This doesn't seem that bad. And she put me in touch with a woman up here and uh, right outside of Silverton and uh, we started our flock. I started a flock with seven sheep and threw them back of uh, the, the Litteride Tundra and we, we drove back and uh, um, there may have some, been some copulation in the back of that truck. Uh, but uh, we, we, we get back uh, to Litteride and lo and behold, we start our flock. Start with seven, uh, come spring, we have a bunch, uh, a bunch more and slowly but surely we started growing the flock. Get about a year into having sheep and everything's going well, we're figuring it out. Um, no, uh, no tragedies, no big problems. And uh, Ted's like, all right, this, this is great. This is, this is real good and let's get cows. <laughs> so I'm like, cows, all right, cool. So um, I do some research, figure out, you know, like it's, it's like do a bunch of research. So Ted, like what, what I think we might want, what might work for our purposes. And, you know, I did that with the sheep too, but um, um, we end up settling on Dexters. And uh, I find a woman who uh, has horned Dexters in Northern California and start with just a couple of cows and slowly but surely, uh, we get another cow, I throw them in the back of a trailer, drive them off to get bread, and, you know, um, two cows, all of a sudden we've got seven, you know, and slowly but surely we, we, we grew the animal program. So uh, uh, Ted really put his confidence in me to, to figure this stuff out. And uh, uh, um, I, I grew to understand the saying of, you know, never take a job you feel qualified for. Because um, it's, uh, the fun was in figuring out all the stuff I didn't know how to do. And while I felt super unqualified when I first took the job, um, it was just constant pushing by Ted um, uh, and my insatiable desire to, um, uh, to meet his expectations mm -hmm. um, just continually pushed uh, myself, the farm, and um, you know, what we did on the farm. So, um, you know, by the time I left uh, Litterai last year, it was, you know, uh, I, I think seven cows and 40 some odd sheep. And uh, I think it's a little bit bigger now, but um, yeah, it, it was, it was awesome. Like throughout those years, also all the winemaking, all the interns, um, uh, I was able to uh, have some really phenomenal interns, which I uh, in turn uh, had them as, uh, full-time employees um, got to do another um, uh, vintage down at Burn Cottage. One of my interns um, um, at Litteri is now the assistant winemaker at Burn Cottage. Um, the um, my uh, successor at Litteri, 
another one of who has started as an intern. He was my cellar master for a few years, and now he's the assistant winemaker. Um, another one uh, intern was an, uh, is now the cellar master, and we just got a. Uh, we were just so fortunate to have some very talented individuals work with us, and uh, um, the the power of building people. Um, really got impressed upon me. And um, it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the, the wine industry. And, and it's something that I had no idea about when I first started down this path, is um, the, the impact you can have on other people's lives. Um, and it's been, it's been one of the most satisfying parts of this, for sure. You talked to, you talked a little bit about the biodynamics part of things, and then kind of you kind of you mentioned the kind of the early bug, and then coming back and what your winter literate. Tell me about what attracted you about bio, what, what was attracted to you about biodynamics and, and about the process of, of learning it and mm -hmm. of, of implementing it yeah. along the way. Mm -hmm. um, so at Cal Poly, I, I learned of biodynamics, um, and it you know. Poo poo voodoo seemed cool. Uh, don't really know a lot about it, but interested. Coming to Literai, making compost. Um, compost, like <laughs> mind blowing at, at the um, uh, the concepts behind it, right? Um, so building fertility on the farm and creating a uh, fertility cycle which regenerates itself, right? So using um, uh, the parts and the waste of the farm to also create the um, fertility for the farm. Awesome. Um, making the preps from things that we grow, um, minimizing the amount of, um, of products brought onto the property to uh, sustain the farm, right? Like these things are, are almost commonsensical to me. Uh, when you think of it, commonsensical to anybody when you think about a farm, like, all right, you want to grow something, do you want to continually have to buy things and purchase and bring things from off the property to keep it going? Or would you rather cultivate it within your system? Right? I mean, that's, that's pretty easy for me. Um, going from having a conceptual understanding with that first couple of vintages to being able to work year in, year out with the cycles um, and, and see the vitality which it instilled in the land, that was really cool um, and really solidified things for me. Um, I, um, uh, I, I have a, it, it's difficult sometimes to convey um, uh, what biodynamics can do with, without having people work alongside of you for years on end. <laughs> um, and I understand there's some uh, um, hard to grasp concepts behind it, and I'm still figuring it out too. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, um, but uh, I, I cannot argue with these results that I've seen. So um, being able to experience that firsthand and to work with uh, somebody like Ted, who's so committed to it, um, I um, there was no way I was going to leave that behind. Um, I wanted to take that with me. 
you talked earlier about the idea of one of the ideas of biodynamics and one of the ideas that you were learning is, is the whole farm and not just not just as a, a vineyard as a vineyard, but vineyard as part of a system. Mm -hmm. So tell me about about how you saw the animals and the farm system making things better for the vineyard and for the wine. Certainly. Um, so um, I'm going to take a couple couple different uh, uh, angles at this, right? So um, one of my hangups with our industry is that um, um, when you're farming grapes solely for the grapes, you can create an agricultural desert. You can have your vines growing great and healthy, but if that's all that's there, then the natural flora and fauna has no place, right? And so um, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, you look to the natural world and the most resilient systems are the most complex, right? And so um, the, the tenets of uh, biodynamics speak to that, right? They, they want to cultivate biodiversity on all levels. Mm -hmm. And if you're cultivating biodiversity on all levels, you're creating a more complex system, right? So the sheep right now are in the vineyard uh, grazing, right? And it's not just the, the sheep being there, right? It's also uh, the sheep uh, are eating different things, right? And um, they defecate and that, uh, that, that manure um, in turn helps feed the vines. It also helps uh, fertilize the ground and other um, uh, plants that are growing around it, right? Um, that uh, breakdown of materials um, cultivates a, uh, um, a diverse biome of uh, bacteria and fungi, right? So um, it, it, it works synergistically. Um, having uh, the compost here, right? The, I'm, I'm, um, we're making compost in order to spread life about the property and the fertility as well. It's not just the, the, the nitrogen in there feeding the plants. It's not that simplistic. It's, um, it's all the things involved. Um, the compost preps are put into the compost pile to help bring balance and what our farm needs. Um, and uh, we then take that compost and we we put it in those areas that most need it. Um, it's all about trying to create a more resilient system. Um, all the while, um, that that greater amount of uh, um, uh, microbiological diversity is going to help create a more complex wine, in my opinion. Right? I mean, you can. There's certainly more and more research going into there, like talking about like the the importance of um, the uh, complexity of life on the grapes itself, and uh, uh, I I want to make sure that our farm is really rich. So um, going from just the vineyard, like you want to think about the uh, peripheral areas, right? So you have to have um, areas for um, well, I feel you want to have areas for uh, the um, plants and animals that want to be there, right? So 
uh, we want to have forest. We want to have some uh, underbrush so we can have birds, insects, reptiles, uh, what have you, have uh, um, some uh, zones where they can hide out. And so they're not only looking for cover in the vineyard, they have the forest to live in. They've got some bramble and briar to hide from predators. Um, and then we also have um, um, predators present as well because we have life here. Excuse me. We have such a diverse, we have so many predator, uh, uh, predatory birds here. It's so cool. And um, I mean, there's herons, <laughs> uh, there's kestrels, there's uh, um, uh, all sorts of hawks and eagles. It's, it's, it's awesome. And, and, and that's because we are doing what we can to have as much diversity here as possible. Um, and having areas here and not just uh, areas here for this diversity and not just solely grapevines planted uh, property line to property line, I think is important and um, is something that um, I always want to prioritize. And um, it, even when we don't have areas like Sometimes there's pre-existing vineyards that I had nothing to do with. Like, all right, let's let's try to create uh, some habitat for them. All right, let's we'll plant a few natives here. We'll put an owl box there. We'll put some bird boxes there. Maybe bat box there. Tr trying to create habitat for them in in zones that there isn't um, otherwise. So, um, and viewing the uh, farm holistically as well, right? So you can't just take care of the vineyard and have the whole farm uh, be healthy. You, you have to take care of it all. We need to be stewards to the forest, right? So the, that nat natural oak chaparral that's here, it's in need of a little help from us because we have decimated the natural migratory paths of all these grazers that would otherwise keep the understory clean. Um, um, we just recently here uh, cleared out some oak chaparral and a lot of that stuff that we cleaned out from the underbrush, we chipped up and now it's in the compost pile, right? And uh, there's um, fields that we're, you know, we're, we're prepping for future planting, right? We're picking rocks out of, but at the same token, we're also um, providing habitat for those kestrels to pick off those, the voles and uh, rodents and stuff like that. And we're, we're, we're looking, we're trying to look at our planning of uh, future plantings uh, in a way that we can have these, these zones for um, natural flora and fauna. So I'm curious with, with that, as with, the, with the biodynamic and the, that, that kind of farming philosophy, I'm curious as you're developing like a winemaking philosophy, how does the winemaking philosophy feed out of that? And how does your role as both working in the vineyard and working in the winery kind of kind of help you create those the the, the philosophies that work together? Um, so, in in the wine world now, there's there's very much a segregation between what's going on in the vineyard and what happens in the winery. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have so many wineries now that um, um, just buy grapes from different vineyards and don't have as deep a connection to it, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Please, uh, I, uh, I understand that almost every winery has to, s can't start with a vineyard, right? It's just the, the barriers to entry are too high. But um, um, I, um, going back to the ethereal force thing, I, I feel like 
having a connection with the vines and working with the vines and understanding uh, what went into it and then bringing those grapes into the, the winery, I, inherently I'm gonna care more about it, right? I have more vested into it. Um, I view the grapes as they're picked, like that's 100% potential right there. That's Mother Nature gave us 100% potential and we're just trying not to mess it up by the time it gets to the bottle, right? Um, as far as winemaking practices and how, um, uh, how it relates to biodynamics, um, I, I, I toy with uh, the, uh, the moon cycles and trying to time rackings and bottlings due to the moon cycle, uh, much to the chagrin of uh, uh, my assistant winemaker, uh, uh, Chris, uh, who's much more pragmatic than I. But um, I think uh, uh, it's, it's purposeful and we have intent behind it. And uh, we uh, are trying to create wines that have, that carry that vitality and vibrancy from the vineyard into the bottle. Um, but I, I can't speak to specific winemaking practices that I would say are like biodynamic mm -hmm. winemaking practices. Mm -hmm. um, I, I view biodynamic a, a, a Biodynamics very much a farming uh, practice, mm -hmm. um, and then the the, the winemaking side of it, what is is just the the translation of the farming into the bottle. Uh, all right. So, what brought you to Crystal? Ah, yes, where we are now. <laughs> uh, so, what brought me to Crystal? It's a, a confluence of uh, several different things. Um, so, working at Litteri, I mean, it, it's a dream job. It's, it's really great. Um, but um, I, I knew as I, I could stay at Litteri as long as I wanted to. Ted was happy to have me. It was, it was, we had fostered a great relationship. It was wonderful. Um, but I knew I, I needed to do something else and, and go out on my own and, and try to uh, prove um, uh, to myself um, that um, I'm not, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have to hold on to Ted in order to be successful, right? Um, and um, so I started looking outwards, um, you know, a few years back. Um, and, and started looking around, what, what was next, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, um, as I was looking around, I was trying to understand uh, the matrix of what I was trying to fulfill, right? So, all right, so I don't wanna work um, for, um, I don't wanna work for a large company. That's, that's something that I felt uh, pretty strongly about. Um, I wanted to work for somebody that I could, you know, shake their hand and look them in the eye, right? Um, uh, I wanted to work for a small, uh, smaller business. I didn't want to make too much wine, right? Uh, I want to continue to concentrate on uh, making classic wine. Um, I'm uh, not looking to make um, uh, super hip right now flash in the pan, uh, what's cool right now sort of wine, I wanna make classic wine. Um, I wanna make wine that um, 
I want to make wine and I want to work for a winery that has a lasting reputation, right? And can go the distance. Um, I want to live in an area in which um, uh, I, I'm able to be financially sustainable. Um, uh, I love the North Coast. Uh, I love um, the North Bay area very much. There's lots of opportunity there, but uh, unfortunately, um, it's it's a really expensive place to live, right? And, uh, moreover, it's um, it's more and more being ruled by larger companies and more, larger wineries. Um, the barriers to entry there are just so huge. Um, it's hard for small wineries to make it there. Um, and um, um, I met a woman that uh, wanted to uh, move north. <laughs> so um, uh, several years back, um, uh, I uh, met my now wife, uh, Hannah, and um, um, she was born and raised in Napa. And uh, we met while both living, she was living in Santa Rosa and I was living in uh, Occidental. And uh, um, we both wanted uh, a, a life where we could get ahead, right? And so uh, we started looking to those areas. Um, and so um, me coming from Oregon and coming from this area, um, uh, I made a few trips up here and started asking around and started putting the word out and started talking to people. Um, on one Thanksgiving trip a couple years back, um, I um, got really inspired by what was happening up here. Uh, of an, uh, it was Thanksgiving night, it was after dinner, and I got to meet up with uh, Andrew Rikers, uh, Alban uh, from uh, Angela State, or should I say Abbott Claim, um, and um, uh, John Suarez. Uh, John Suarez, uh, uh, he's ubiquitous in the, uh, the Oregon wine industry here. Um, and we were just talking wine. It was, we stayed up late talking about the potential of Chardonnay here in Oregon and uh, drinking Chablis and just nerding out hardcore. Um, and it got me so fired up. Um, so I came up here um, and uh, went around and visited a bunch of places with uh, uh, my best friend Cliff. And uh, at the end of some visits where uh, places where I really uh, um, uh, was taken, I, I, I told the people who hosted us, like, you know, just to let you know, I'm looking outside of Litteri and uh, looking for what might be my next move, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, um, Tom had come down and visited me at Litteri along with uh, Steve Thompson and Randy Ford. Randy's our um, national sales guy. Um, and uh, Steve Thompson is our CEO. And Tom is the proprietor. And so they came and visited me at Litteri. And I gave them a tour, rolled out the red carpet. And uh, um, I didn't know it at the time, but uh, Tom was really taken with the visit. And uh, so were Randy and Steve. And um, I, I guess I made an impression on them. So when I left that time telling them that, you know, I'm looking outside of Litteri, um, I, it got the gears turning for them. And so um, Tom called me up and said, hey, um, 
I think, uh, I think we might have a place for you. Um, that was March of 2019, I think it was, yeah. Um, I, I was really interested and uh, um, Hannah and I came up here and um, we visited and talked things over and spent some time in McMinnville and pictured our life up here. And uh, it, was, it was checking all the boxes. Mm -hmm. um, Tom was really on board in taking this place to the next level, right? Um, um, certainly the, the reputation which uh, Dorner has established here with the wines is undeniable. And um, I have huge shoes to fill in that manner, right? But um, I um, saw an opportunity in working with Tom to bring this place to, a, uh, to be an integrated farm and uh, to diversify it, to try to make our own fertility and bring animals here and really uh, elevate the farming practices and make an investment in the most important part of this, this puzzle, and that is the land. And um, that coupled with the, the excitement that I had over Chardonnay here and uh, the fact that um, um, prior to 2018, the, the uh, Chardonnay from Christum was minimal. There wasn't a lot produced. Um, uh, I saw a huge opportunity. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was time to uh, leave the roost and uh, uh, came up here. Uh, my wife and I uh, got married um, in 19. Uh, we moved up here shortly thereafter. And uh, I started in July, July 15th, 2019, I started here. And it was, don't ever start a job in winery, vineyard perspective uh, uh, in the middle of July, because <laughs> it's just like straight, straight into the fire. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was uh, um, a steep learning curve to say the least, but um, it was great. And um, um, I, I'm really happy with what we're doing here, and I see uh, a lot more to come. I'm curious from from Tom and, and, and Steve's perspective in terms of you talked about Christum's reputation, Christum's reputation, strong reputation for wine, strong reputation for Pinot. What was it? What what was it about? Why did they want to take that next step? About what? What did they? Why did they feel they needed to take the next step and get into more diversity and, and biodynamics and, and improve the farm when they already had the reputation that was that strong? Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> um, Tom's um, uh, Tom's intent for Christum is a sustainable one, and and I mean that um, across the board, not only farming financially and uh, socially. You know, he wants, he wants Christum to uh, be a family-run business for the long run, right? <clears throat> and I think um, he had come to realize that uh, conventional farming was not the answer to that. Um, and being able to um, take a more progressive approach to the farming um, was ultimately the answer to it. Um, and uh, biodynamics um, and what I could bring um, was, was the path to that. Um, 
Tom had already started uh, pushing down this this um, this avenue. Uh, I'm just really taking it and running with it. So tell me your role here. You listed as vineyard manager and winemaker here. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, that's a lot. I'm curious about how your how you kind of how you frame out your days, your weeks, your months. How do you balance both sides of things, mm -hmm. and what and what do you feel are the most important things you're doing at the moment? Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it, it's fun. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It's it, it's really fun. Um, uh, the diversity of my days uh, changes every every day. Um, it's it's exciting um so it it uh fluctuates with the seasons obviously um there's no getting away from uh, the timing of some things so um during the uh winter months largely it's a concentration on pruning and uh planning for the year to come thinking about fertility all that sort of stuff but also we have bottling and blends for the subsequent uh, um, bottlings the next year. So um, uh, day to day, it's just an evaluation of uh, uh, where uh, the focus needs to be. Um, it's also uh, a managerial role too, right? Uh, I, I'm so fortunate to have such a solid vineyard crew. We have um, a vineyard foreman that has been here for ages. Uh, since almost the beginning, who knows the place really well and knows uh, uh, what needs to be done when. So, um, you know, if I if I drop the ball on something, there's there's it's not like it's going to go into the abyss and we're we're going to suffer. Like there's there's other eyes on the prize. So, um, um, him along with our lieutenants, lieutenants as I like to call them in the vineyard, uh, do a fantastic job. So um, it's it's like checking in with them a few times a week and making sure we're on the right path, uh, really getting involved um, in the um, steps for the biodynamics, uh, the making of the preps, the making of the compost piles, the, uh, um, you know, trying to manifest uh, the diversity and uh, how we manage things. And, you know, uh, I think historically here it's been, all right, well, if we need to do a bunch of pruning, we're going to have a big burn pile, right? Well, you know, changing that culture, encouraging people to look at things in a different way and uh, slowly moving the needle. Uh, and in some points, you know, very abruptly moving the needle to um, a, a more um, uh, progressive way of thinking. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's always a challenge. And then um, in, when it comes to inside the winery, uh, man, oh man, I, I cannot say enough good things about Chris Butler, um, um, uh, our assistant winemaker. Um, so right after I started in July, um, I got the notice from the then cellar master um, that he was taken off. So like right before harvest, cellar master, the guy that I'm going to lean on to show me how things are working and stuff like that, he takes off. And so um, I put out the word. Um, to friends in the area, you know, you know anybody who you'd recommend for the job. And um, Jill Ferris, the cellar master over at Lingua Franca, uh, he um, uh, told me about Chris. And Chris was doing a long-term um, um, internship uh, for Kate um, at uh, Penarash. And uh, I called him up, I'm like, hey, I hear you might be interested in a full-time job. You wanna come out and talk? I brought him out here. We went for a drive around the vineyard. We, I kind of explained to him what, what I wanted to accomplish and where I wanted to go. And Chris is like, let's do this. 
and uh, um, there was a few other candidates um, for that for that position. I had interviewed with a couple other people, but um, Chris and I um, are. Uh, our skill sets complement each other. I mean, he's taught classes at UC Davis. He has a master's from UC Davis. He's uh, done vintages all over the world. He's very uh, learned in the uh, hard sciences. And um, he's very, very pragmatic. And it's great, because I am not. <laughs> he, he is, uh, uh, like, I, I'm, I'm much more touchy-feely, like, ethereal forces, biodynamics, you know, like, that's, that's more my game. And he's more like, well, well, these finding agents are at this rate, I think will produce the best uh, result. And, and, and it's awesome. It, and so he's really been my, uh, my partner for uh, the wine uh, making side of stuff. Um, we've been able to um, um, uh, take uh, blending, uh, making making blending decisions earlier, being able to pro project out farther. Um, it's been a fantastic partnership. And all the while, I still have the the um, uh, the laurels rest on of Steve and Tom because uh, they've been making wine here for ages, <laughs> right from the beginning. And so um, um, there is no. Uh, uh, understating the um, the contribution which Steve Dorner has made for this business, there's you can't overstate it. I think I sorry I think I might have said that wrong, but you can't overstate it. Uh, he he um, he is what manifested Crystal and Tom um, now taking the business over from his father wants to make it even greater. Right, and I feel it's my role to be Tom's partner in doing so, mm -hmm. and um, it's uh, it's been. It, I mean, it's every day is different. <laughs> we mix it up. Uh, I've got such uh, a great team here, uh, from our 16 full-time uh, vineyard crew to our uh, sales crew, uh, which is out there uh, keeping us in the black and keeping wines moving, uh, to our tasting room crew, to uh, Steve, our CEO, uh, being able to have the vision and uh, um, for uh, planning all these numbers out, uh, and then having Tom as a partner uh, in in pushing these things forward, um, it's it's really uh, a unique thing, and um, it's a really exciting place to be right now. So tell me how, if at all, you you anticipate the wines changing here. Obviously, you're talking about adding more Chardonnay. Will the will the wines be different? Will you, are you expecting them to be different as you mm -hmm. as you look ahead? Mm -hmm. um, um, Yes and no, right? So obviously the style of, uh, I think it'll be pretty um, pretty clear in the release of the 2019 Chardonnays that my Chardonnay making style is uh, a, a bit different than what historically has been here for uh, Christum. Um, I, um, I like wines of tension, nice linear, I like uh, mineral component, you know, I like, um, um, a lot of acid in Chardonnay. That's really important for me. Um, so Chardonnay, absolutely. Um, Pinot Noir, um, Steve uh, made wines at Calera with lots of whole cluster. He came here to Christum, has been making wines with lots of whole cluster, and they're great, they're beautiful. 
um, and I want to continue that tradition, right? Um, I, there's certainly going to be lots of whole cluster in uh, Christum's future, for sure. Um, and we have Steve to work with. He's still um, here uh, on a daily basis, and he um, helps with the winemaking decisions, uh, especially with the Pinot Noir and um, the blending, all that sort of stuff. So I don't think that the Pinot Noir is going to change dramatically. Um, I think it's more going to be, um, uh, if anything, a clearer interpretation of the vintage. Um, as I'm pushing for more involvement, not only in our vineyards, but also in our purchase fruit vineyards, which uh, go into much of the blends. So um, making sure that we get those um, grapes off the vine at the appropriate time, um, maybe dialing down the ripeness just a hair or two, um, but, um, you know, Cleaning things up a little bit in the cellar has, is going to help us. There's been some substantial investment in the infrastructure for winemaking here. And we've got a barrel steamer and we've got a pressure washer for our barrels. So um, I think the wines might be a little bit uh, cleaner. And, um, but largely the Pinot is going to be stylistically similar. Lots of whole cluster, without a doubt. Um, certainly going to be on the uh, bold end of the spectrum as they always have been, um, but just speak to the vintage a little bit more. Uh, I think uh, the 2019 Pinots will uh, be evident of that, uh, 19 being uh, a vintage with uh, a little bit of rain and some certain challenges there. And uh, uh, I, I was, it was really nice to have Steve and Tom here uh, coming from California and having my first vintage in Oregon be 19. Uh, I mean, I, I would have lost my shit. <laughs> it, I mean, uh, in California, obviously, we don't see the rains like we saw in 19, and so they were able to uh, talk me off the ledge and uh, it, it make sure uh, I wasn't going to do anything uh, foolhardy. But um, the wines, um, uh, I think, are indicative of the vintage: a little bit lower alcohol, a little bit, um, um, a little bit more restrained style, um, but plenty of fruit and plenty of whole cluster and intensity. So, um, yeah, um, it's it's going to just be an uh, a slow effort to refine things a little bit. Earlier you talked about not ever taking a job you were qualified for. I, I'm curious, coming into a job like this, did you feel ready for this job? And, and was there added pressure taking over uh, for a winemaker who was, who was so highly thought of? Um, so, um, uh, no, I totally, I, I totally did not feel competent for this job. But yes, I was very comfortable taking this job. Um, it, uh, it, it, yeah, certainly it's intimidating, right? Like, um, before I took the job, I kept on, you know, blindly asking people, you know, oh, what are wineries in Oregon you really like? And uh, time and time again, you know, Kristen would be definitely mentioned, and Steve's name would come up, right? These are massive shoes to fill, right? And I'm, I'm not Steve. They're, I'm never going to be Steve. He is such a, uh, a warm, friendly person, uh, gregarious, and um, uh, try as I might, it's, it just doesn't come as naturally to me as, as it does to him. Um, uh, it's, it's certainly intimidating, but uh, uh, I'm up for the challenge. 
I want to, um, um, I want to, I want to continue to make wines that he's proud of, and um, I want to do his legacy uh, true, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think ultimately we have the same goals of making classic wines that last a long time that are, you know, speaking of time and place. So obviously you have a lot of, a lot of things you're getting started on here. Tell me, as you look ahead for Christum five, 10 years down the road, what, what do you anticipate happening? What, what, what will be different? What will it look like? And what are you kind of hoping for as you look ahead? Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, we can, sir, I, if you two want to walk around afterwards, we can take a look at uh, uh, what immediate things have changed here. And uh, uh, I mean, we've got like upwards, uh, we have three large windrows of compost out there, right? And um, up until a few years ago, like there was no compost made here. We've got uh, our flock of 21 sheep running the vineyard right now, and they're gonna grow, right? Um, I'm hoping to get cows here. Uh, I want to diversify this farm. I want to, um, um, I, I realize the opportunity we have at Christum to become a, um, a role model of progressive farming here, right? So we have a reputation of wine already, and I wanna make that repu reputation synonymous with progressive farming. Um, and that's no small feat, right? We've got 240 acres here. It's a lot to manage. It's uh, uh, a lot of these weird projects take time. <laughs> and uh, uh, slowly but surely, we're taking bites out of it, right? Um, I, I want to see this farm uh, grow in vitality. I want to see uh, the vines uh, to continue to age gracefully and uh, um, uh, continue to be strong. Um, and you know, that's, that's a continual effort, right? Like wood disease takes no rest. <laughs> Viruses take no rest. Um, we've got uh, some new plantings coming up in Paul, which uh, we'll be uh, planting out a little bit more as uh, time uh, progresses. But um, um, yeah, becoming coming more estate focused, right? Uh, obviously, we have uh, um, the ladies and Paul, our vineyard designates off the ranch here. But um, um, as we plant out more and more of Paul, more and more of Mount Jefferson Cuvée, which is now an Eola Amity wine, will be sourced directly off of here. And so, um, by growing the grapes ourselves, elevating the quality of that wine, um, and elevating the quality of the ladies as well. So. Um, it's there. There's so much opportunity here for um, for farming growth, for progression. It's it's going to be um, it's going to change annually. And I think as visitors come here, I want to make this uh, um, a destination, not just for the wine, but like, oh, have you been to Chrisom? Like, they're doing some cool stuff. Like, you get it. You can walk around, check out all these animals. You could, you should really see their compost piles. It's really inspiring, and uh, I want this, I want this farm to be as as impressive as it can be. And and there's there's a lot more we can do. We talked about viruses, so I guess this is as good a time as any to talk about COVID nineteen. Obviously, we're talking to you in November of twenty twenty, and we're and kind of winding down harvest uh, mm -hmm. under COVID. I'm curious, 
how the pandemic has sort of altered work work life for you, life here at Christum, and how Harvest went uh, with the new restrictions in place. Ah, uh, yeah, can't forget the Rona. Uh, Rona is 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 everywhere. It's involved. Everything that we do is is uh, ha has to do with Rona, right? Um, it's affected every walk of life, and so. Um, here, we were uh, pretty verdant about uh, uh, trying to maintain uh, social distancing, obviously wearing masks all the time, and uh, a lot of things were uh, implemented in order to maintain the safety of all of our employees, not only in the winery and the tasting room, but also in the vineyard as well, right? And uh, it's, it's also um, uh, been a little bit of a shift in culture as well, um, right? So the farming and winemaking world has a bit of machismo behind it, right? Oh, I'm not sick. I can work through this. It's no problem. That's totally different now, right? Like I encourage people to stay at home if, if they got a scratchy throat, if they feel like their equilibrium's off a little bit or their chakra's not totally centered, like just take the day off. We'll, we'll get through without you. And the same thing goes for me. It's, um, sorry. <laughs> uh, we we are just uh, hyper village vigilant about um, trying to maintain the the health and well well being of of what makes all of this possible. So, um, and, and that's not even going to start on what challenges this has uh, presented us with sales, right? Mm -hmm. And Christum's uh, um, been very fortunate in the fact that we are an established brand. People know who we are. Um, um, for lack of a better term, I like to, like, I think of us as kind of a blue chip Oregon winery. So people are aware of us, and and that works to our favor. But that that doesn't mean like it's come uh, easily uh, for us to uh, uh, continue to uh, propagate sales. And, and for that, I tip my hat to uh, our DTC manager, Rachel Sims, uh, Garen Poole. Uh, both of them are doing uh, fantastic things with our wine club and, um, you know, working uh, tirelessly with our internet sales and, you know, trying to uh, make sure that um, we, we do have a place to come in to work. The lights come on and uh, all that works. Uh, Randy Ford even has a bigger challenge because uh, he's got not only nationally, but also internationally um, selling wine. And um, Christum's huge in restaurants. So we, you know, top 100 wine uh, year in, year out. And uh, a lot of that's because of our restaurant presence. And um, there's had to be paradigm shifts, right? And figuring out how we're gonna manage all this. And um, I'm so grateful for every one of them to um, keep working hard at all of this. Um, because it allows me to focus on, you know, the farming, the sheep, <laughs> the wine, um, and everything that we have going on here. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your um, sort of initial impressions of, of the Oregon wine industry. Obviously, growing up here, or leaving, coming back. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about what you, what your kind of initial impressions have been of the industry as you became aware of it, mm -hmm. and and what it looks like now to you as you as you're a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, Oregon wine industry is uh, is great. Uh, um, it's certainly different than uh, the California wine industry, as I've alluded to earlier. It's it's got fewer barriers to entry, so there's a lot. Uh, uh, I think uh, um, it's Oregon is kind of like where 
um, California was in the 80s, more or less. Like, there's just a lot of opportunity here. And um, um, I also see a lot of those people who um, founded um, the Oregon wine industry. Um, um, a lot of them are now aging out, and uh, you're seeing an influx of a lot of uh, young, young wine-making talent, and that's, that's super exciting. Um, I, I, I'm so fortunate to have all these people that I can call up. I mean, Tomas around the corner, right? Alvan, Andrew, um, uh, Seth Morgan Long. I mean, these are people that um, are all available and open for no matter for anything that I could ask for. Um, it's, it's exciting. Um, it's, it's a very open community. Um, I, I feel as if in uh, California things were a little bit more guarded. People were like, oh no, I'm not going to show you how we make the Kool-Aid. Like, that's, that's our secret recipe. But uh, I think Oregon's much, much less guarded. And uh, uh, I find that uh, uh, heartening. Um, and uh, it's, it's so nice to be up here and uh, working with vines that are also dry farmed. Um, a lot of uh, the vineyards that we were working with in, in uh, California, you know, there just would not be the consistency if there wasn't irrigation. And so uh, being able to plant a vineyard without having to put irrigation in, like, that's not possible in Oregon, right? Uh, in California, excuse me. Uh, Oregon is, 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 is great. It's so much fun to farm. It's, it's very progressive. It's open to new ideas. We've got um, some great viticultural areas. Um, I'm enamored with the Eola Amity Hills. Um, it's really stolen my heart to the, uh, obviously the Pinot Noir has uh, great structure and earthiness and complexity, but also fruit. But um, the Chardonnay is really, really exciting. Um, we've got some uh, great uh, farmers that we work with, um, um, the Von Osen Vineyard, uh, which um, is just down the road here on Bethel Heights, um, and then the Eola Amity, oh, excuse me, Eola Springs Vineyard are make up the heart of our Eola Amity Chardonnay blend. Um, two rock solid vineyards that um, uh, produce some uh, um, wonderful grapes, which allow us to, to produce a, a beautiful Chardonnay at, at what I think is a very reasonable price. It's, it's, these things would not be possible <laughs> in an AVA like the Sonoma Coast. Um, I think there's so much value here, so much opportunity. It's um, much more of a uh, accessible um, venue to so many people than I think some of the exalted zones of, of California, but I don't think um, is an inferior uh, wine region in any respect. What about as you look ahead for Oregon? What, what do you see the industry looking like over the next five or ten years? Uh, pull out the crystal ball, take a look. Uh, um, obviously, um, Oregon's wines are going to become more renowned, right? Um, just the, the marketing machine and uh, um, more uh, winemakers and uh, farms growing better grapes, uh, elevating the whole uh, the whole scene is uh, going to take note. People are going to take note, and um, it's uh, as I was saying, it's more accessible too. Um, I, I think um, 
globally speaking, it's, Oregon's been off the radar because California's such a, got such a big voice, but uh, Oregon's going to um, be picking up steam as, uh, as these wines get out there because they're just so exciting. Um, additionally, um, as we see um, the effects of global warming, um, it's going to um, affect the grapes as well. Uh, I think and Oregon's going to see a, um, um, a sweet spot, I think, in this. Uh, I don't know, I, I, I'm not a, a meteorologist and I can't tell you what, how fast things are gonna warm up, but I think there's going to be a period where we're going to have some really consistent vintages. We already have seen it and it's going to be um, uh, become more prevalent. Um, there's just going to be more consistent vintages here, whereas previously it, it had been very hit and miss. Mm -hmm. And so as things get hotter and hotter down in Cali, uh, I think you know things will get a little bit warmer here, but we're going to get a sweet spot where we get some really consistent vintages. Um, yeah, I think uh, um, Oregon is also um, going to make more strides in its farming. Um, it's becoming more and more important to the consumer. And uh, I think um, the Oregon wine, um, um, excuse me, the Oregon vineyard manager is becoming more and more inclined to explore organic practices. Um, and with less rain, it makes it a little bit easier too. So um, every year I feel as if I see a new mildicide or fungicide come out that that wasn't there before, that's organic. And it's, and it's great. We're getting more and more tools in the toolbox um, and it's going to help make it a little bit easier to, to farm in that manner. So um, yeah, I, I think the best days are still to come for the Oregon wine industry. Uh, I really hope there's still a place for the small, medium-sized, uh, um, small to medium-sized uh, wineries. Um, I know that, you know, there are large businesses up here um, buying up more and more land and, you know, they're entitled to and uh, they, they certainly bring things to the table that small and medium-sized wineries can't, but I, I, don't, I hope Oregon doesn't get too big, mm -hmm. right? I, I want it to, I, I really want it to see the, um, the mistakes that were made in Sonoma and Napa and uh, I want, I would like to see development here be a little bit more responsible um, and not um, as, um, you know, uh, not proliferate as intensely as it did in Napa and Sonoma. Um, it's, I think the conservation of our open spaces is very important. And uh, while uh, many hillsides are very appetizing, I think, um, there needs to be um, some responsibility uh, um, in preserving those. Uh, it's important. It's important for for us in the future. And um, uh, yeah. Uh, what about as you look ahead for for yourself? Obviously, you said you settled in McMinnville. Why mm -hmm. uh, got your wife up here? How are you? What do you see for yourself as you look ahead in the future? How are the, how are you settling in so far? I haven't told you the most exciting bit. I mean, obviously, Hannah, my wife, she's great, wonderful. We've got, got a house and stuff in McMinnville, but uh, uh, my daughter was born in 
in July. So thank you very much. Uh, um, uh, she's, you know, very much a focal point in my life. And uh, when when I have a, a stressful day at work and uh, um, I'm, I'm having a hard time of letting things go, I try to let things go in the car. But when I get home and I, I see Hannah and Nora, uh, it's just pfft, everything melts away. And I'm right there with them. Um, uh, for myself, um, um, I want to uh, invest more in my family, of course, but also invest more in Christum and uh, into the uh, wine industry. Um, uh, largely, I've, um, I've, I, I went from Litterai where I was kind of in a bubble uh, on the West Sonoma Coast there, and then I've come to here at Christum and uh, in my fervor to uh, figure things out and to understand um, um, how to do things here and how to um, get things to work. Um, I've kind of insulated myself and created a little bit of a bubble, um, but I want to uh, start to um, contribute, uh, make a greater contribution to the greater community here. Um, it's certainly a bit more challenging with Rona, as we said, but um, it's not going to last forever and um, I can make contributions in other ways as well. Um, so, um, yeah, investing in my community and, and all the while uh, sharing that with uh, my place of work and my family. All right, one last question for you. You get a little philosophical for you to finish this off. What is wine's role in society? What is wine's role in society? Here's a... Here's a good one to get roasted on, for sure. Um, uh, wine, is, wine is frivolous. It's, it's not necessary for life. I mean, uh, a lot of people think it is, but it isn't, right? Um, uh, life, um, or should I say, um, wine for me is uh, a platform to uh, educate people about um, how they consume, and um, I think wine, um, this this privileged place that we are, and being able to m have a livelihood uh, making wine and growing grapes, and uh, selling it to people um, who have um, have the means to purchase it. I think we also need to take that as a responsibility for uh, educating them on what they're consuming. Um, People buy carrots off the shelf without much thought of what goes into it. Yes, they might buy organic because they think it's the right thing, but um, people are interested in wine and want to understand why and where. And um, uh, I view wine as a, um, a great way to educate people. So that's why I want this place to become uh, a beacon. And I want it to help proliferate uh, these ideas and to educate people about what they're consuming. Not just what wine they're consuming and what goes into that wine, but also you know, agricultural in, agriculture in general. You know, um, we, we vote more than just with our ballots, we vote with our dollars. And I, I feel um, um, wine for me is, is that educational platform. Um, uh, for society as a whole, <laughs> uh, it, it's it's uh, uh, it's a lens of 
uh, looking at the world, uh, looking at different societies. Uh, um, it's also an artistic expression, certainly. Um, it's a, a way to connect with the earth. It's uh, a way to connect with uh, the ethereal world in which we cannot grasp. There are so many wands that I've had in my life that I cannot explain the deep effects it's had on me. It is, um, it is proof to me that there, <laughs> there are deeper things that play in the, in the natural world. Pretty fantastic answer, I gotta say. It's uh, so all the questions that I have for you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover here today that we should have covered? I feel as if I've just been rambling and I feel so self-absorbed right now. <laughs> I, 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 I want to ask you about yourself. You know, how was your day? What's going on? It's uh, this is a, a strange uh, seat to be sitting in, but I, uh, um, I'm humbled and uh, uh, really grateful for the opportunity to, to share my story and. Um, yeah. Thank Absolutely. You very much. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and, and your thoughts, your stories here, and we'll uh, go ahead and let you off the hook. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. Special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have assisted on our oral history interviews.